Thunder fans, ho! Welcome to the Pod of Thundera, where we take every episode of the original Thundercats, sight beyond sight. We will discuss characters, plot, world, overall episode quality, and assess whether the episode holds up by today's standards and how it can be updated for current audiences. I'm your host, Lars Beckley. Let's feel the magic, hear the roar, and let loose. Today's episode is called The Unholy Alliance. It is the second episode of the first season, where our hilariously incompetent mutants recruit a powerful and sinister ally, Mumra the Ever-Living. Or rather, it is he who is recruiting them. Time for a synopsis. Spoilers, but you knew that. We open the episode with Panthro cursing to the heavens over the damage to their ship before very calmly confirming he can build a thunder tank with what's left of it. The Wily twins play frisbee with their food rations, and Tigra pulls a dad move to get them to quit it. When asked to help, Lionel goes, Nah, I think I'm gonna go hiking instead of helping you guys unearth the ship. Tigra gives him an excuse, tossing him the claw shield and the sword of omens. Tigra justifies letting Lionel go off exploring as gaining life experience. Very typical of the latchkey kid era to be like, Hey, yeah, we can let you, the 12-year-old, go exploring on an alien planet we've never seen before with no chaperone or buddy system. He'll be fine. I'm sure nothing bad is going to happen. Meanwhile, the mutants are on the hunt for a place to build Castle Plundar. They stumble across the Black Pyramid on a horizon, a mysterious structure with four obelisks causing a storm just above it. You know what sounds like a fantastic idea? Flying right into the storm. Nobody ever said the mutants were intelligent adversaries. Unsurprisingly, the mutant ship crashes into the desert from all the lightning and such. Jackalman, Monkey, and Ant Slive all miraculously survive. A very dramatic voice bidding them enter precedes a very Sleeping Beauty-esque sphere of green light leading them into the pyramid. The mutants find themselves in an empty chamber with a frothing purple cauldron, surrounded by giant effigies of the ancient spirits of evil who they theorize may be an ancient race of mutants. The sarcophagus slowly opens to reveal Mumra himself. He claims to know the mutant's mission and that he too seeks to possess the Eye of Thundera. How convenient! He brags about how long he's known about it and how super old he is. When the mutants question his power, he causes an earthquake and shoots red lightning into the ceiling that damages his own temple to make a point. Very wise and powerful indeed. This quickly turns into a battle of one-upmanship that leads to Mumra sinking the mutant ship into the sand, never to be seen again, isolating the mutants, forcing them to work with the ancient senile sorcerer. They agree to share the power of the eye once they get it for Mumra. The mutants are not very subtle about the fact that they don't intend on doing that. Mumra uses the cauldron to find Lionel and send his new minions to jump him and take the sword. Meanwhile, Lionel fancies himself an apex predator and tries to go hunting. The Sword of Omens is having none of that and petulantly buries itself in the dirt in protest. Jaka's ghost shows up and is like, Oh, life is precious, Lionel. Swords are for the blood of your enemies, not for deer. Also, you already have food. And Lionel's like, Oh man, okay, darn. And Jaka vanishes right when Lionel has questions because he's inconvenient like that. Suddenly, the mutants get teleported to Lionel and attack, covering his mouth when he tries to call the Thundercats with the sword. It works temporarily, and it's honestly kind of shocking they never try and do that again. After a struggle, Lionel unleashes the cat signal, summoning Panthro and the Wily Twins to his aid, and the mutants blip right out of there as soon as they're even slightly outnumbered. Typical. Since Tigra and Chitara didn't show up, Lionel wants to go look for them, insisting that he's not a kid anymore and can totally handle it. Panthro is skeptical but lets him go, sort of considering that Lionel is almost immediately back in danger when Mumra, now the ever-living, buff, shiny Pokemon card version of himself, goes to nab the sword personally. 
Mumra blinds the Eye of Thundera with Tar. A young and inexperienced lion that was no match for Mumra the ever-living alone. They toss each other around and punch trees for a little bit. When Mumra's got Lionel on the ropes, he flashes him! With the claw shield! Horrified by his own reflection, Mumra flees. Just in time for all the Thundercats to reach Lionel at once, conveniently after the battle is over. Mumra returns to his normal form, and the mutants bully him as he returns to his sarcophagus. The episode closes with the Thundercats being like, Wow, that was crazy, right? And implicitly deciding Lionel is not allowed to go out on his own anymore. Snarf will accompany him for the foreseeable future. Hooray! Cue the forced laughter and fade out. Moving on to the story and world. What do we learn about the Thundercats, Thundera, and their adopted world of Third Earth through this episode? The biggest things we learn about in this episode, world-building-wise, are Mumra and the Sword of Omens. So, who is Mumra? I'm going to preface this with the fact that this villain has not aged well at all, and using a poorly researched culture and pantheon of gods as a premise and aesthetic of your villain is decidedly uncool and very much a product of the era. I'll be discussing ways you could make this character a lot less offensive later. He claims to have been on Third Earth since it was First Earth. Assuming First Earth is our time, is he from some sort of, like, fantasy cyberpunk version of Egypt? Or does he mean the literal ancient civilization of Egypt when the pyramids were first built? Although there is a funnier alternative that this desert isn't in Egypt at all but Nevada, and that this is Las Vegas, or what's left of it. He's just like some crazy, not even actually Egyptian sorcerer dude who's been holing up in a casino that looks like a pyramid for like a few thousand years. I don't think they'd do that, but it would be funny. Also, who are the ancient spirits of evil? They don't look that much like or even behave like Egyptian gods to my knowledge, and they genuinely do look more like an ancient race of mutants as Slive describes them. Maybe Mumra could be a mutant? They later seem more like they're controlling Mumra more than he's controlling them, especially later on, like a Lovecraftian pact or something. Another huge element of Mumra that doesn't really get explained other than because he's evil is why can't he bear his own reflection? Was there a point in time where, where he could? Was Mumra even good at one point and now he can't bear to look directly at what he's become? Or is it just some weird result of his pact with the ancient spirits of evil? Moving on to the Sword of Omens, we learn one of the key tenements of the sword in this episode. It cannot take an innocent life and can only be used to combat evil. It's also pretty environmentalist for not allowing Lionel to hunt when they already had food. We also kind of learned that Thundarians are omnivores and they can eat burble fruit and weird bread stuff from the ship, so they're not fully feline like their cousins who are carnivorous in real life. Another thing we find is that the cat signal cannot be seen underground unless its energy bores a hole through the rock. It can be seen from space and virtually anywhere else, but not underground. It can also be blinded by things like cloth and tar early on. Only Chitara felt the cat signal go off when they were underground, not Tigra. There are points later on where others can be summoned almost no matter what, and that the sword can only be blinded if something really bad and or magical happens, so I would just chalk it up to Lionel not having fully mastered the sword yet in these early episodes. The last thing we learn is two location names for places on Plundar from Jackalman, the Ocean's Boiling Fass and the Scrum Forests. I'd be shocked if we ever got to see these offhand comment locations because, you guessed it, it's an 80s cartoon. It's time for character highlights. What do we learn about them? What do they do? Lionel continues to get characterized as an overenthusiastic and naive 12-year-old and is quickly fitting into the category of himbo. 
strong, dumb, good-natured. Considering he doesn't know what tar is and touches it and lets it burn him. But he does know how to hunt. This kid is like zero self-preservation as per most 12-year-old boys that I've met. A character trait that never stops causing entire episodes of plot to happen. He's obsessed with doing things by himself and it almost always gets him in trouble. No wonder Snarf is almost always there to babysit him from here on out. Tiger gives us more evidence that he and possibly Chitara are serving as foster parents to the Wily twins with that whole don't play with your food bit in the beginning. We also see his status as second-in-command more confirmed as he's keeping the Sword of Omens and not Lionel yet. He seems to play favorites a little bit with Lionel, but he does kind of have a point with Lionel needing to learn and do things that the other Thundercats don't. He treats him more like a friend or a little brother, but like still too young to be an equal. I also love that he starts explaining why he let Lionel go, and like the way the audio's cut when we move on to the mutants implies that his speech was much longer than what we saw, and that's honestly pretty on brand for the version of him in my head. We do get more moderate foreshadowing on Shitara's extrasensory powers, considering that she sensed the cat signal even when Lionel failed to summon its light, and seemingly below ground, whereas Tigra did not. Again, these two get paired together a lot, but otherwise, no real characterization in this episode. Panthro being just chock full of personality as always, apparently verbally abuses inanimate objects when he's angry. He puts a lid on it surprisingly quick, though it's clear he's got a bit of a temper, you know, like advising everyone to stay calm while aggressively straightening out a thick metal pipe. He's, he's coping, okay? Another thing that we learn is that he's a sarcastic little bastard, and I love that, because he's like that whole, right, when Lionel tries to go off by himself again after he and the twins save him from the mutants. Then proceeding to what I assume is follow him from far away enough that he doesn't know that they're following him. The alternative is Panthro being stupid enough to let Lionel go on his own again after being attacked, which I choose to uh, not believe. I am just going to believe that it's the former. The Wily Twins still really don't get anything character-wise yet other than, you know, haha, kids, am I right? And Snarf doesn't really get any screen time that isn't whining about stuff. Can't wait till that's over. The mutants are starting to get their own characterization, though. We get confirmation that Slythe is the head honcho of the three, and while we don't get big personality differences, the cast did an excellent job of making Jackalman and Monkeyman sound very, very different from Slythe, at least. And Jaga knows we already covered all of our bases with Mumra. Moving on to the quality of the episode. How is the sound, the music, animation, and voice acting? I will say that you can definitely tell there's a drop in budget quality in this episode compared to the first. I really thought it was just me when I first watched the episode, but there is no music other than the theme song and when the credits roll in this episode. And while the movements in the animation are still pretty smooth, the lines are rougher and there's multiple looping animations and the combat is really repetitive. Again, probably because of a budget cut. So far as main characters go, Earl Hyman is still doing amazing. Bob McFadden still hasn't found Snarf yet, but it's not like whoever wrote this script gave him a lot to work with. What really I want to get into is highlighting how awesome the villain performances are in this episode. As you all may know, Thundercats only had like nine people in their entire voice cast. Only seven before season two. What we do have is Jackalman and Lionel are voiced by Larry Kenny. Peter Newman is Monkey and Anne Tigra. Bob McFadden is Slive and Snarf and Earl Hammond is Mumra and Jaga. And quite frankly, they all do a great job, with Jackalman and Slythe especially, it's hard to tell that they voice main characters. They all have distinct and amusing voices, but I think the most iconic is Mumra. 
He's just got this gravitas that is just sopping with malevolence, a crackling undead growl, and a flair for the dramatic that seriously borders on senility later, and I love that. 10 out of 10, Mr. Hammond. Now we come to the final score. Does it hold up, and does it need any modern updates? This episode itself isn't too bad at all. A lot happens in this episode. It has a very distinct A and B plot, which is super rare for this show early on. It smoothly establishes the new main villain and the basic aspects of what the Sword of Omens can do. Unfortunately, the issue with this episode is that, while iconic, the main villain is very... dated. Don't get me wrong, I love a nefarious, cackling, melodramatic antagonist as much as the next guy, but that's not the problem. It's the cultural appropriation being used for a character that is cartoonishly evil. It really shouldn't have flown in the 2011 reboot, and it certainly wouldn't fly now. Now, I should clarify that I am whiter than a piece of milk toast, and this is just my opinion on a hypothetical solution, but why not make Mumra a mutant instead of at least formally a human? I mean, if Brune the Destroyer, a former Thundercat turned evil, and the lunatics from the moons of Plundar can be marooned on Third Earth, why not a mutant so evil that even other mutants rejected him? Everyone else is using Third Earth like a penal colony anyway, why not Plundar too? You can even make him an anthropomorphic snake so he can keep his two-headed serpent logo thing. You can make the other Raw-type characters snake mutants too, why not? You know, Wizra, make him a snake. Mamrana, snake lady. Problem solved? Kinda? Change up the Black Pyramid enough to where it doesn't look like a child's interpretation of an Egyptology project, and you're pretty good. On that note, I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Pod of Thundera. I've been your host, Lars Beckley. Thundercats is property of Rankin Bass. The song Thundercats intro theme song guitar cover instrumental extended TV metal provided by Javier Vustacara Ruiz. Tune in next time for Thundercats Season 1, Episode 3, Burbles. Thunder fans, ho! <laughs>